week in my personal Bible study, the Lord has really been speaking to me a lot about uh, the differences between knowledge and wisdom. How many of you know that there's a difference between knowledge and wisdom? Uh, for those of you that don't know, wisdom uh, is really the ability to take God's word and apply it to the life you're living. Amen? So there is an opportunity for you to glean knowledge every time you come here. Amen. I pray that you always leave here knowing something more that you didn't know about your relationship with God. But it has no value whatsoever if you don't apply it to the life you're living. Amen. So Sundays are great, but Monday through Saturday is where you put the rubber to the road. Amen. Uh, so that's important. That's the wisdom days. Well, uh, after 3,500 years, you would think that God's people in Israel would have understood that God wants them to apply the knowledge that he's given them to the lives that they're living. Uh, but we know that uh, often they didn't learn lessons. Uh, so far in our study of Judges, it seems like they fall back into the same old pattern. You know, that, that same pattern has emerged uh, in the book of Judges, and it, it basically appeared like this. As long as the nation of Israel had a strong leader... Man, they were good. They would stay in fellowship with God. They would serve the Lord. But then the minute that that leader passed away, you're not going to believe what would happen. They would fall back, right back, into the same old sins that they had before that leader came into place. And when they sinned, guess what happened? God would use the godless nations that surrounded them for discipline. God would allow their enemies to enslave them. God would allow their enemies to torment them. And then they would be shown the extreme cost of empty living. I pray today that you will resolve to say that I will not live an empty life. Amen. In the first 10 verses of chapter 6 in Judges, that's on page 222, amen, in the Bible's in front of you, 222, chapter 6 of Judges. Here's what this little passage teaches us. It teaches us that disobedience to the will of God in our lives causes us to pay a price that we really don't want to pay. Disobedience to the will of God in our life carries a price far higher than any of us want to pay. So let's begin God's lesson on this subject by observing what happened. Once again, God's people embraced their sin. God's people embraced their sinful lifestyle. The Bible says at the very beginning of verse 1 in chapter 6 that the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord. Now, that verse doesn't say exactly what that sin was, but we can assume that it was the same old sin that they had been guilty of in the past. You see, God had taught them a lot of stuff. God had given them a lot of knowledge, but Israel and God's people would not apply that knowledge to the life they were living. And so repeatedly, they would walk the same old foolish path 
and they would fall right into the same old foolish trap over and over and over again. They were being unwise. Unwise. Now, before we get all high and mighty, let's realize that we don't need to be too hard on them. Because I'm preaching today to a group of folks here in person and online that have the same problem that God's people had in Israel. Every single one of us deals with some area of weakness. Can I get a testimony to that right now? Is there a, do you deal with weakness like me? Amen. We all deal with it. The Bible refers to these areas of weakness as the sins that so easily ensnare us. We all have these areas of weakness. Now, we've learned in past messages that this flesh that we live in, it loves to sin. Amen? We've also learned that our enemy, Satan, is a scheming enemy. He knows exactly what your weakness is, and Satan knows how to entice you and how to draw you away from God. But we've also learned that without the Spirit's influence on our lives, you know what? We just want to do what's right in our own eyes. Amen? That's why we so desperately need the Spirit's influence in our lives. Because if not, you're going to do what you want to do. Every person here has an area of their life that causes them trouble. Some have problems with their language. It's been a surprise to me some of the things that I've heard come out of a Christian's mouth. Amen? Some people have problems with stubbornness. In my years of ministry here at Bethel, I have seen some stubborn Bethelonians. Amen? Some of us have problems with submission, yielding to the Spirit's work in our lives. Some people have problems with gossip. We don't have no problem with that here, amen? Yikes. Some of us have problems with sexual sin. Some have problems with alcohol. Some have problems with drugs. And here's the kicker. You know, you know the areas in which you are weak. You know the sins that you struggle with. You know that given the right conditions, what sin it is where temptation will likely win. So I think it's important this morning for us to learn again how we can win over temptation. Here are some definite steps where we can be wise because we already know it. Amen? We know how we should talk. We know how we should act. We know what kind of attitude we should have. We just don't do it sometimes. Amen? So let's take these definite steps to being wise, to applying God's word to the life that we're living. Here's how you win over temptation. Number one, don't play near the trap. Don't play near the trap. If you know there's an area of danger, an area where you might be led to sin, stay away. Amen? 
If the stove is hot, don't touch it. If the stove is hot, I want to encourage you, put it on your oven mitts and don't even go near it. Amen. Don't play near the trap. Satan is out to trip you up. And he will deprive you of your fellowship with God if you don't keep your distance. Don't play near the trap of sin. Number two, have an escape plan. In 1 Corinthians 10, 13, the Bible tells us that when we are tempted, and yes, you will be tempted, amen? You will be tempted, but when you are tempted, God will make a way to escape that temptation. But here's the kicker. God's made a way for you to escape, but it's up to you to use that means of escape. Amen? He's made the way to escape, but you got to use it. And if you don't use it, you're going to fall to that temptation. Number three, consider yourselves dead to sin. In Romans chapter 6, verse 11, Paul reminds us that we really need to guard our perspective about sin. David said when he was repenting of his sin, against you and you only have I done this thing. You see, sin is not so much about sinning against me and sinning against the church or sinning against your spouse or sinning against your friend. Your sin is an affront to God Almighty. Amen? You need to learn to consider yourselves dead to sin. He said in that verse, Romans 6, 11, Consider yourselves dead indeed to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus our Lord. So in other words, will you be a slave to sin? Or will you be a servant to Christ? You do have the choice. Number four, determine that you're going to serve God and Him only. When Paul was writing to another church, not unlike ourselves, he wrote to 1 Corinthians, the, to Corinthian church in 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 9, and he asked them a question. He said, don't you guys know, don't you guys know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit? Don't you know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you? And listen whom you have from God, and you are not your own. See, that's the problem Christians have. We think we belong to ourselves. We think we can do what we want, when we want, and how we want. Amen? But God says, you are not your own. Let me keep going. For you were bought at a price. The precious blood of Jesus Christ paid that price for you. Therefore, Glorify God in your body and in your spirit. Here it comes. Which are God's? You're not your own. No, you are God's. Yes, friends, sin is a constant problem for every child of God. We all have the same trouble. We all have the same temptations. It's always going to be a trouble. But listen, it does not have to dominate your life. Sin does not have to control your life. You have got power over it. Like us, God's people in Israel had sin that they seemed to embrace. We're the same way. 
But as a result, God's people had to endure suffering. Because they embraced their sin, they had to endure suffering. Now the next few verses record the extreme cost that God's people paid for living an empty life of disobedience to God. These verses also paint a similar price that you and I will pay when we choose to live our lives out of fellowship with God. So listen up. First of all, we recognize that God's people were invaded by the Midianites. Look there in verse 1. Toward the end of verse 1, the Bible says, So the Lord delivered them into the hands of Midian for seven years. And the hand of Midian prevailed against Israel, against God's people. Now that word Midian means strife. That word Midian can also mean conflict. And it tells us right there, it gives us a clear picture of the cost we pay. A conflict. Conflict between our corrupt world and the truth of God that we believe. There's a conflict there. Amen? But here is something you need to know. Those words paint a price, or paint a picture of exactly the same price that you and I pay. But it's also important to understand that the only reason that the Midianites had any power over God's people, here it comes, is because they let them. The only reason that sin has power over your life is because you let it. Amen? It's up to you. You're the one that gives the power to the enemy. Think about this. As the world looks at the church today, as the world looks at God's people today, many times it's like the world is looking in a the mirror. They don't see any real difference between themselves and what they see in the church. They see similar sins. They see the same old foolish decisions. They see the same weaknesses. They see the same rate of divorce. They see the same rate of addiction. And as a result, they see the same distance from God. When we refuse to stay close to the Lord, when we refuse to live according to the Word of God, we're just like the Israelites and just like the lost people out in the world today. We also open the door to suffering in our lives. If you want to embrace sin, then you better be willing to endure suffering. Amen? If you're going to be dumb, you better be tough. Amen? Because without an intimate relationship with God, you're going to be attacked you're going to be invaded, and ultimately you will be overrun by the world that we live in. But not only were God's people invaded by these Midianites, we also see that they were imprisoned by those Midianites. Verse 2, in the middle there, because the Midianites, because of the Midianites, the children of Israel made for themselves the dens, the caves, and the strongholds which are up in the mountains. So when these Midianites, when God's enemy invaded Israel, 
God's people just ran and hid in the mountains. They didn't put up a fight against the sin. They ran and hid in the mountains while they were being overrun. Their sin made them weak. Their sin made them weak. And get this, they basically became prisoners in their own land. They became a prisoner in the land that God gave them. Why? Because they embraced their sin. You see, that's what happens, friend. That's what happens when you allow sin to dominate your life. Sin will rob you of your character, rob you of the very person that you are. Sin will also not only rob you of your character, it will rob you of your fellowship with God. Sin also will rob you of a willingness to put up a fight. And the enemy will come and invade your life and will overrun your life. Who are those enemies? Sin, self, and Satan. Be on the lookout. So today, when you and I allow sin to rule in our hearts, we also become listless, lazy, and lifeless. We don't even put up a fight. And the enemy comes in and takes away everything we value. In fact, it's likely that there are people here today, that there are people listening today who have allowed certain actions in their life They've allowed certain ways of living to dominate them for so long that they've lost their will and maybe lost their ability to fight the enemy. It's like you're a prisoner in your own life, enslaved to the world instead of serving God Almighty. And when you're a prisoner in your own life like that, you know what you're going to do? You're going to run and hide. You're going to hide in fear. You're going to try to hide your sin. You're going to try to hide those actions. You're going to try to say, I can't control them. But here's a fact for you. Here's a truth nugget for you this morning. Jesus has the power to set you free. Amen? Nothing's got control over you. Nothing has to dominate you because Jesus Christ has set you free from that domination of sin. But you can't hide in fear. You can't hide in fear and enjoy the Lord's freedom. No, as a believer, if you want to be free, if you want to be free, you've got to deal with your sin. How are you to deal with your sin as a child of God? Number one, agree with God about it. Confess it to Him. Proverbs 28, 13, the Bible says that he who covers his sins, right, who tries to hide his sins will not prosper. But whoever confesses and forsakes them will have mercy. So in that one verse, we find that not only do we have to agree with God that it's sin by confessing it, we also have to turn our back on it. We have to forsake that sin. Turn away from it. Turn to Christ. Trust God's way of dealing with that sin. Jesus said, unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. The Israelites had to learn that all too often. God's people suffered by having their land invaded by the enemy. 
But then they had to live and submit to a prison of their own making. It's amazing. But not only were they invaded by the Midianites, and not only were they uh, imprisoned by these Midianites, we also find, beginning in verse 3, that they were impoverished by those Midianites. Look in verse 3. So it was, whenever Israel had sown, that is, whenever they sowed their seed for their crops, Midianites would come up, also Amalekites and the people of the east would come up against them. Then they would encamp against them and destroy the produce of the earth as far as Gaza and leave no sustenance for Israel, neither sheep nor ox nor donkey, for they would come up with their livestock, come up with their tents, coming in as numerous as locusts, both they and their camels were without number, and they would enter into the land and destroy it. Now that's a good lesson about immigration right there, y'all. That's a good lesson about illegal immigration, right? We only have so much money to be given out for others. Amen? Verse 6, So Israel was greatly impoverished because of the Midianites, and the children of Israel cried out to the Lord. Now that word impoverished means that they were utterly deprived of what God wanted to give them. Impoverished also means that they were made feeble. They were made weak. God's people had become hopeless. They had become helpless. And everything they worked for and the land that they loved so much was taken away from them. Can you imagine that? They planted their, in their fields and then the enemies would come in and take away their crops. They would raise their livestock only to see all of them taken away. They were made feeble, and listen, they were quite literally at the end of their rope. You ever been there before? The end of your rope, and somebody told you to tie a knot and hold on. Amen, praise God. But here's the point. Everything that they valued was taken away. Why? Because they embraced their sin. Listen, that's what sin does. That's what sin does. Sin will strip you of everything you value. Sin will strip you of everything that you live for. It leaves you feeble in the faith, and it leaves you left with a feeling that you are at the end of your rope. So, friend, if you choose to live your life under sin's control, don't be surprised. If you choose to live under sin's domination, don't be surprised when you look around one day and you see that everything you value is gone. Because that's what sin does. Now some people choose sin over a spouse. And you know what happens? Poof! Their marriage is gone. Some people raise their kids to be the best, to have the best, to do the best, but they failed to raise their children to love the Lord. And then they're surprised when their child walks away from the Lord. Amen? Now, I don't know what you're investing in today, but I pray it's not material things. Because if you're living for material things, you have forgotten that everything you see, everything you see is temporary. 
everything, everyone you see is temporary. So what are you investing in today? The only thing worth investing in is your life with Jesus Christ. Amen? Because that's the only investment that pays eternal dividends past his life. Amen? That never fades away. So God's people in Israel, they learn the lessons in their noggin. Lessons that we need to learn today. But they were unwise. They didn't apply those lessons to the lives they were living. They embraced their sin. And as a result, they had to endure suffering. Then something really interesting happens. God pops in. Amen? The greatest two words in the Bible are, but God. Amen? God's people are embracing their sin. They're enduring their suffering, but God. Amen? So here we find that God steps in and he explains his sentiment toward the whole thing. Look in verse 7. And it came to pass when the children of Israel cried out to the Lord because of the Midianites that the Lord sent a prophet to the children of Israel. Now listen, God don't owe you an explanation for anything that he's done. Amen? He doesn't owe us an explanation for anything that he's not done. But it seems here that God has taken the opportunity to remind his people of why they should trust him and why they should obey him. While his people were enduring their suffering, they cried out to God and God was faithful to hear them. And God sent another nobody. Why do you call him a nobody, Brother Bill? Well, I call him a nobody because the Bible doesn't even give us his name. The Bible just says God sent a prophet to the people of Israel. So God sent this no-name prophet with a word from heaven. And that prophet gave God's people a message that was designed to confront their failure in light of God's faithfulness. The message was designed to remind them of just how good God's been to them. The message was designed to remind them of how they should be living in light of how good God has been to them. But that message also reminded them of God's deliverance in the past. What God had spared them from in times past. Look at the end of eight, verse 8. That prophet who said to them, Thus says the Lord God of Israel, I brought you up from Egypt. I brought you out of the house of bondage. I brought you out of slavery. I delivered you out of the hand of the Egyptians. I delivered you out of the hand of all who oppressed you. See, God had been demonstrating his power to his people for, for centuries. Think about it. He demonstrated his power through those ten plagues in Egypt. Remember those? The frogs and the gnats and the bloody water and the loss of the firstborn children. All those other plagues. Through Moses, God had brought his people out of Egypt 
And in a supernatural display of power, what did God do? God divided the Red Sea and millions of his people walked across that sea on dry ground. Wow. You know, for nothing else, they should have been faithful to God for the grace and the salvation that he had already shown them. God's grace has been even more real to me and you. God's grace has been even more real in my life. God never parted a sea for me. God never sent a plague for me. But he did give his son to die on a cross for me. He did love me even in spite of my sin. God did save me even when I wasn't looking to be saved. God saved me even when I wasn't looking for him. He did change my life because just by faith I asked him to. And he changed me. For that reason alone, God deserves all my faithfulness. Just for that reason, what he's already done, he deserves all my love. For that reason and that reason alone, he deserves all of my everlasting devotion. Did he deserve yours? So the message from the prophet reminded them of God's deliverance in the past, but it also reminded them of God's deeds in the present. Notice that there at the end of verse 9, God said to the prophet, I drove them out before you and gave you their land. You're living in land where I drove out your enemies. See, not only did God deliver them from Egypt, God walked with them now. God walked with them every step of the way. He drove out their enemies. He led them. He fed them. And he never failed them, even though those people were constantly failing him. That's the way I feel sometimes. I'm constantly failing God. But he never ceases to lead me, to feed me, and to help me get back on track. God gave them the good land. The land filled with milk and honey. The good land. And he blessed them far beyond they've ever, more than they've ever deserved. You ever feel that way? Man, that God has blessed you more than you ever deserved because you didn't deserve none of it, amen? Man, they should have been faithful just because of that. Just because of what God had already done. Just because of what God was doing then. Friend, listen, look around you. Look within you. Look back at what God's done for you. Look up, amen, when times try to get you down. All around us we can see that God has been so, so good to us. He's blessed us materially. He's blessed us physically. He's blessed us financially. And most of all, he's blessed us spiritually. We, I think we ought to be faithful to him just because of what he's already done. What do you say? Amen. But sometimes we don't have the wisdom to do that, do we? We know it, but we don't apply it to the life that we're living. So, friend, has the Lord been good to you? Check it. The Lord has been good to you. 
Does he deserve the best you have? Back at him. Say, yes, he sure does. See, that message from the prophet told of God's deliverance and told of God's deeds, but it also told them of God's demands. Look in verse 10. God said through the prophet, And I said to you, I am the Lord your God. I am the Lord your God. Do not fear the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell, but you have not obeyed my voice. God reminds them. He's not the God of the Amorites. He's not the God of the Canaanites. He's not the God of the, the Midianites. He's not the God of the Parasites. <laughs> he's the God. He's their God. Amen? He's our God. He's your God specifically. Make that personal, friend. He is your God. He's our God. And friends, the Israelites are beginning to see. They're beginning to understand and apply to their lives. Hey, you know, I'm suffering because I failed to keep God first. That's always our biggest problem. When you find yourself in the midst of sin, when you find yourself in the midst of trouble, when you find yourself in the midst of tragedy and heartache, one reason is you probably ain't keeping God first. Because even in death, even in the death of a loved one, even in sickness, even in pain, even in struggle, even in separation, keeping God first blesses us immensely. See, they've allowed other things to come in front of God. They allowed their recreation and their sports and their, their uh, hobbies and the things they like to do in their own eyes to come ahead of God. And what they learned is they ended up paying an extreme cost for empty living. Listen, God has not changed. The God of the Israelites is the God of the Bethlehemians. Amen? God has not changed, and he is still a jealous God. What does that mean, he's a jealous God? That means that God refuses to share you with anybody. He refuses to share you with any other God, any other thing, including self. In other words, if he saved you, he expects you to live for him and him alone. You're his. You belong to him. He paid for you. He paid the price. With his own blood, he paid the price. You belong to him. Therefore, you can no longer live for yourself. You can no longer live for the world. You can no longer live for things. No, God expects you to walk with him, to love him, and to live according to his will. I didn't say it, y'all. God said it. You're his. And when you do these things, the promise of Scripture is, is God is going to bless you greatly. But when you don't, 
there's going to be a price to pay. If you belong to the Lord, you can expect to pay an extreme price when you live an empty life. So look at your life right now. Who's first? Is it your spouse? Who's first? Is it your children? Who's first? Is it your job? Who's first? Is it your bank account, your 401k? Who's first? If it's anyone other than God, you are headed for trouble because you are His. You belong to Him. You're bought and paid for. In Revelation 3.19, the Lord Jesus said, As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Sometimes in these lessons through judges, that's what I feel like. Man, I sure got rebuked for that all week. I sure got disciplined for that one all week. Yeah, I'm sure that you probably feel that way too. But then he goes on to say, As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Therefore, because of that, he says, Apply wisdom... And be zealous and repent. In other words, get excited about serving Jesus and turn away from your sin. Be wise. Be eager and turn to me, Jesus says. See, empty living. That is, living with no eternal perspective, living with no eternal purpose, living with no eternal value has an extreme cost for the child of God. So what will your disobedience cost you if you continue in it? What will you have to endure if you continue to embrace that little corner of sin in your life that you think nobody else sees, but God sees it? What are you going to have to endure what price, friend, are you willing to pay to keep on sinning in that way? I want to tell you, whatever price it is you think you can pay, it ain't worth it. It ain't worth it. Friend, are you saved? Are you born again? Are you redeemed by the precious blood of Jesus? Has Jesus bought you back with his own blood and therefore you're no longer your own? You belong to God? Have you placed all of your faith, friend, all of your trust in Christ Jesus for your home in heaven, for your forgiveness of sin? If you're placing any of your faith or any of your trust in anything else, you're coming up short. Christian, here we go. Are you living close? Christian, are you living clean? Amen. Christian, are you living faithful to God? That's his question to you today. If you belong to him. Who would be willing to pray today that we as God's people would come to a place 
where we no longer embrace sin so that we don't have to endure suffering. Who would pray today? Who would pray today? Father, we come to you today asking you to cleanse us, mm. forgive us. Yes. Lord, we fail you in so many ways. Lord, just guide us into your spiritual walk. Yes. Faith with one step and your word, your truth in another. Mm. Father, we just ask you to cleanse us yes. as a church, mm. as individuals, mm. as a nation. Lord, just give us the ability to understand that your will is the most important yes. in our life, in our everyday living. Yes, Lord. Father, just bring us that love that you show us so often, mm. that forgiveness that we don't deserve. Mm. And God, just give us the strength to carry on, to be bold Christians, to carry out the word that and tell others that you just love them so. Yes. And Father, you died for us. Mm. And Father, we thank you. I pray this in the precious and the glorious name of our Savior, yes. Jesus Christ.